Welcome to Home Office. I'm Mark Legier. I'm Inda ITR. Hi, Inda. Hey, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and it's so nice to finally have you have you on the show. Yes, I'm really, really excited about this and uh, also really excited about the topic that we're going to talk about. All right. And I know we, uh, you know, the, the subject for today's show is, you know, how uh, international students are, are coping amidst the, uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. But uh, before we dig into that issue, uh, I want our listeners to get you to know you a little bit better, Inda, because you, you have a, a personal connection to this story. Now, Inda is, um, is our Moncton correspondent, for those of you who aren't regular readers of Huddle, and you should be. Um, so Inda, tell us, uh, how you uh, arrived in Moncton. I mean, I know you've been with Huddle now for three years. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's almost three years with Huddle. Um, but I've been in Moncton and New Brunswick for longer than that. So I actually came to New Brunswick, uh, in 2009 as an international student at St. Thomas. Uh, so this story is, is quite, uh, close, um, to my heart, I guess. Yeah. And I am, you know, you know me and I've been like fascinated by your personal story since you started to, to, uh, work with us. And, you know, I, I'd love to say that, uh, you know, Inda, Inda came to, uh, to Moncton and New Brunswick by way of, of Indonesia and other parts of the world. Um, so tell us, just give us, um, you know, uh, the story of how, how you actually arrived here, you know, where you were born and, uh, where you grew up, which I know is many places around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, don't know where to start, but <laughs> I was born in Indonesia and uh, grew up in about uh, seven countries, Indonesia, including before included before I came to Canada. So all of that um, living across so many countries and continuously adapting to different cultures is something that I brought with me when I came here. Um, so it was it was an experience in itself. Now I'm going to give you, give you a quick quiz. Name all the countries that you've lived in around the world. Mm, okay. If I remember correctly, uh, Afghanistan, Indonesia, Vietnam, Yemen, Iran, India, Uzbekistan, and then Canada. Not in order. And, and, and your family is still in Indonesia now, aren't they? They are, yeah. Yeah. So tell me, um, after living in all those places around the world... Uh, why did you choose to come to school in New Brunswick? So I was looking for a school that was affordable. Um, and so St. Thomas University, not only at that time, have affordable tuition fee, they also offered me a scholarship. Um, I was offered scholarships from different schools, but St. Thomas offered me the biggest one. And they also had a journalism program that I wanted to uh, enroll in. So those were the main reasons. And I also wanted to come here because there wasn't a big Indonesian community. I wanted to challenge myself um, and kind of meet people from all over the world. Now, I know you've obviously growing up in, in so many different countries, you're a highly, you know, highly adaptive person. Uh, but tell me um, how, like, how was settling, what was settling in New Brunswick like for you in Fredericton? Well, for example, it's it's small. It's small compared to all the places I've lived in, and it's very different. And I was, I think, that I was the only international student that was from Indonesia at St. Thomas that year, and I I just had to be friends with everyone. It was just there was no questions there. But things like Tim Hortons, I didn't know what that was. So 
when people were like, you don't know Tim Hortons, do you live under a rock? Those were one of the things that I still remember today because we didn't have a Tim Hortons in all the other places that I lived in. So that that's something I still remember, I guess. Yeah. Now, you know, I can't uh, help but but share an inside joke with uh, with our listeners here, Inda, because mm-hmm. you, you mentioned the expression "living under a rock." Right. Um, one of the the one of the ongoing jokes between Inda and I is I'm always coming out with these maritime expressions, and she looks at me puzzled, um, or there's silence on the other end of like a, a text chat we're having through our our, uh, our text program here at work where we communicate. And I realized that uh, I've said something that, Inda, you're just totally puzzled by. So tell me, when you, was was um, living under a rock? Was that an expression that you knew? I think I think I un- understood what that meant, not, but not re- actually knowing what it means uh, exactly, it's just from the tone. But M- Mark, that's why, like, I want I really want to interview you one day for our woven cultures project here about cultural diversity and inclusion because working in the Canadian workplace, we hear all of these expressions often, like uh, "I'm gonna pack it in" or "What was the other thing that we learned uh, from Shelley?" Uh, and Bob's your uncle. Those kind of things that yeah. <laughs> I really, I really, I think it's funny, like the way that we have learned to communicate with each other and understand those, those, uh, those uh, uh, jargons and, and terms. Yeah, no, and and every every culture has their kind of like inside language. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and we definitely have our our you know maritime expressions that uh, I think you and I have talked about, like building like a, a listicle story on uh, for for international students and immigrants on the expressions you should know coming to the Maritimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so tell me, so you you graduate from St. Thomas, mm-hmm. and why did you come to Moncton? Uh, the, a job. Uh, I was looking to apply for a work permit and then my permanent residency uh, but I needed a job to also pay for bills uh, I needed a good job um, so immigration uh, Canada has all these things that you have to uh, fulfill in order to apply for a permanent residency you have to find a job at a certain level um, and you have to make a certain amount of money you have to have English and uh, testing and all that so I a, a job in Moncton called me first. Essentially, I was applying everywhere in New Brunswick, and then and then you found yourself inside. You know, obviously not as big a place as you know many that you've lived in around the world, but certainly one of the you know fastest growing and and most diverse communities in New Brunswick and Moncton. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the past few years that I've been in Moncton, I've seen it become so much more diverse. It's just main street with all the the people that are out when in the summer or the the restaurants um that we've seen obviously not during a pandemic but uh i've i've seen the the definitely change and so in addition to being uh you know huddle's main correspondent there one of the things we've learned about you and over the years is that you don't stop working when you leave huddle at the end of the day you've actually uh, created your own, you know, with with uh, with friends and, and other people in the community, uh, a nonprofit. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yeah. So uh, we were seeing that there was a lot of, um, you know, sometimes miscommunications, misunderstanding. You know, culture is uh, different everywhere in the world, and 
as we become more diverse and as we also, uh, you know, build our lives and roots here in New Brunswick and in Canada, we saw the need for uh, spaces where people of different cultures can talk, become friends and learn about how to communicate with each other um, respectfully and, you know, support each other. So we created this uh, thing called Woven Cultures um, where that's what we do. And now we're just focusing on a lot of video content. Right. And it's, and it's, and it's grown to be, you know, quite, quite a big conversational platform in, in Moncton and, and around the province. Right. I, I hope so. <laughs> um, we are trying to make content that we haven't seen elsewhere, uh, trying to challenge that conversation, especially around race and uh, cultural diversity and inclusion. It's, you know, we, we find that sometimes we walk on eggshells uh, when we talk about these things. So we're just trying to open it up more uh, to have honest and deep discussions. Well, that's actually a good, uh, probably a good place for you and I kind of to segue into, you know, the conversation that we're going to have here today around uh, around a series of, of stories that uh, that you've been writing for Huddle. We've published two already, mm-hmm. and I know that there are more to come. So, can you tell us what what inspired? Tell us about you know the series of stories you're writing now, mm-hmm. um, just in general, and and tell us what inspired you to to dig into this subject of international students and and the challenges they're facing you know during the COVID-19 pandemic Mm -hmm. Uh, so I had seen I had started seeing people in my community um, reaching out uh, to me and uh, my friends saying that we need to help international students they're facing this and that and what can we do people were trying to organize um, and then I saw Husoni Raymond whose voice will be in this story um, will be in this podcast today um, t- he posted about how international students were excluded from the uh, Canada Emergency Students Benefit. And I wanted to know more of what what uh, supports are there out there for international students than if they're excluded from such um, uh, such programs. And so that's that's why it started. Right, right. And, you know, I think probably, you know, into probably the best place for us to start having this conversation um, today is to maybe hear from some of those people and then you and I can talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the specific issues they're facing and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, and, and the greater challenges and stories around that. So why don't we, uh, why don't we start first with uh, Kay Matthew and before uh, we play a little bit of tape from a conversation you had uh, with Kay over the phone, uh, can you tell us a little bit about Kay? Yeah, so Kay is uh, an NBCC Moncton student uh, from Antigua and Barbuda in the Caribbean. And she is a student at the uh, hotel and restaurant management program there. And she just arrived, I think, in September. Um, And so she was only here a few months when the lockdown happened. And she was working at Casino New Brunswick where the restaurant closed. So she lost her job then. Right. Well, let's um, let's let's hear from Kay now. I'm a single mother, two children, so they attended school as well, but they are out of school as well as myself. And um, yeah, so it will affect me because I was highly dependent on that um, job for to supplement my you know income to have pay rent, you know, and do all of that. Yes, um, we should have had enough savings to take us through the, the school year. But, I mean, realistically, 
you know, you, you, an income would help with, with any um, incidentals, especially when you have children that you have to support. Losing the job is one thing, but then the uncertainty of not knowing when all of this will end is even more, is the scary part of it. You know, that's the most scary part of it. I don't know when I'm going to be able to return to work, how long it's going to last. So, Inda, I find, you know, Kay's, Kay's story, it really, you know, there's, there's some real challenges uh, that she's facing. Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the cha- the biggest challenges that she's facing is, A, she's a single mother, she has two kids, um, but because she's too new, she's she hasn't been here that long, um, she's not eligible for uh, the Canada Child Benefit, for example, which has been increased and would have helped. Um, she's not eligible for uh, EI or the uh, Canada Emergency Revenue, uh, Canada Emergency, sorry, Response Benefit. Uh, because she um, she didn't make enough money um, to qualify uh, essentially in the last year, and she's not the only one who has that problem. I actually, after we posted that story online, uh, it was being shared around in international student circles, and there were people who came out and said, "I also didn't uh, qualify because I was just seventy five dollars short of um, of that five thousand limit." Um, and and other stories like that, right? And I think you know because uh, an education costs so much more for an international student here. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that I would suspect that that part time job mean means a lot to her. Yes, that's she said that it's it's the only she really relies on that income, um, even though it's only it's only a part time job, because it does cost about nine thousand three hundred a year um, for her program. And she does have two kids, so. And you know, for her to be, and I mean, we all, we all, like, I just know my own, my own challenges at home. Uh, you know, with us, uh, my wife and I working, and and having the kids uh, home from school, she's in the situation of being a student and having kids who are students. Right, right, yeah, and now her kids are at home with her. So, Linda, why don't we, why don't we go on to uh, Sedona's story? So uh, Sedona is a second year student at St. Thomas, and she is also one of those people who doesn't qualify for the CERB, even though she's been here for um, more than two years. Um, And she is working part time, but she's not making enough. Um, She made just a little over a thousand dollars, so she doesn't qualify either for the uh, CERB. And uh, yeah, we'll listen to her story here. I still have my job, but at the same time, I have to pay rent each month, which is like $500 per month. And I also have to save towards tuition because my parents back home are currently out of a job because of COVID-19. So having to save for tuition that is between like 17000 to 20000 it's hard as an international student to come up with all that money and knowing this is the case for so many other students around me, it it's hard. It's hard. It's hard for our mental health. It's hard for us to really think of ways to get out of this situation mm-hmm. or, you know, find support in other areas mm-hmm. and having to think of ways where there is really none. Um, 
to really supplement my income mm-hmm. or, you know, be able to save towards my tuition each day. It's just really draining and hard on my mental health mm-hmm. because I really wish to finish my degree in Canada. I'm basically halfway through my degree mm-hmm. and if I should have to stop, if I'm forced to stop because of this right now, mm-hmm. it would be very hard to to really comprehend and to push on mm-hmm. within, you know, push on in terms of being able to restart. It's, or... it's kind of hard to really be calm and not stress because at the same time, there is like no real realistic way to come out of this, considering, you know, there's no help for us. So now Sedona is, uh, she is from Jamaica. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got to be like a huge a challenge for, and I know you can think back to your own experience into coming here. It's got to be a huge challenge just to come here, um, you know, enroll in school, study, uh, try to work and help pay for things. And, you know, I think also too of Kay, obviously in this context mm-hmm. and that like, that's difficult enough. And then suddenly to find yourself dealing with the pandemic as well and all the challenges that's throwing your way. Right. I, I mean, I remember when I was a student, I had two part-time jobs, uh, a scholarship that one year I lost my scholarship and it covered half of my tuition. And I was so anxious trying to cover that with my part-time jobs. And at that time, the tuition was almost half of what, uh, what Sedona has to pay at this, at this time. Um, so I think at St. Thomas, the BA um, is a 60, more than 16,000 a year. And if you're at UNB, the cost is between 20 to 21,000 a year for international students. So imagine not having any income. And then uh, Sedona's parents also, um, their jobs were disrupted. So they weren't able to, uh, you know, help her financially as well, she said. So that's another uh, additional uh, anxious, anxiety inducing um, issue. Right. And, and uh, you know, this is something that, that you didn't have to face personally, but the people you're speaking with do, mm-hmm. you know, she, she's looking at this and thinking, you know, can I, can I finish my education under these conditions? Yeah. And uh, it's, it's really when you've invested so much time, as any student would know, um, you know, into your education and, you know, going to school abroad is not something that you just lightly plan for it's not like it happens in one day you plan for it through your high school and um you know you plan for the finances for that and all that so having to having had invested all that time into a education for Sedona she said it's hard for her to think about not being able to finish um her Canadian education or having to maybe pause it for a little bit Right. And, and we're talking about, you know, hun- hundreds, hundreds of students here. And I know from, from surveying that was done at UNB, mm-hmm. um, 95% of, of, uh, of these students don't qualify for the, the, the CERB benefit. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think about 60% are also facing, are saying that they're facing um, food and housing insecurities. So, or sorry, 80% actually, that, that say the pandemic threatens their housing and food security. So it's uh, it's concerning. And 
people are rallying around them. I've had people reach out after the story came out and before the story came out, sort of saying, what can we do? How do we, uh, how do we help fund um, their, you know, at least their summer? Because the problem is international students are also basically stuck here. Um, if they do leave, um, their the borders of their countries might be closed. There's not enough uh, airlines uh, that are now flying into their countries. And even though uh, Immigration Canada has loosened some criteria and uh, regulations around who can come in um, when you have a work, uh, sorry, a study permit, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that people feel that they want to take that risk. And then there's also the risk of uh, contracting the virus when you're traveling and such. So I think those are all the things that the students have told me that are on their minds. Right. So just vul- vulnerabilities all around here, like yeah. financial and, and, and otherwise. And, you know, Linda, that's it's probably... Um, uh, the right time to introduce, uh, you know, the last the last voice in, into our, our conversation. And then we can we can also talk about you know more about some of these these bigger issues and when what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, it's a good time for us to hear from uh, Husoni. Can you tell us a little bit about him before we play uh, a bit of the conversation from him? So Husoni is a recent graduate uh, from St. Thomas University. He's one of those students who had to graduate during a pandemic. And he had to end his uh, bachelor's degree, essentially, in online classes. Um, And he's going to law school uh, in September, if all goes well, I hope. And he was the president of the St. Thomas University Students' Union, and he's involved with uh, the Canadian Alliance of Students' um, Associations, and also he was involved with the New Brunswick Students' uh, Alliance. So he, uh, he said that he has heard from a lot of international students and domestic students that are feeling cash trapped. So let's listen to his story. I'm here alone. Like I made the, um, took the risk to come here. Uh, well, of course I've developed connections, but you know, no core family members are here with them. So they're stranded in, um, this country that when you're being recruited, it's like, Oh, Canada is very inclusive. Everyone's nice and all these great things. But then when there's an emergency, a global pandemic, um, and we are in need, we've been excluded from, from accessing support, um, from the federal government, which I think is very disappointing, um, and very problematic, um, for many reasons. I still think that is problematic that the only, help that the government is giving international students is sending them on the front line of essential services to risk their lives to just survive here. What about those ones who are immunocompromised um, and have just don't have the capacity to put their lives on the line um, in an essential services job? As president of the student union, my job did not end um, as a result of COVID-19, so I was still receiving some um, income support. Mm -hmm. So I was able to make it through the past um, few weeks. Mm -hmm. However, now going into the summer Mm -hmm. where um, all the interviews that I had lined up have been canceled, I've been reaching out for job opportunities for the summer and everyone put a, a pause on hiring, not qualifying for Canada summer jobs. So um, it puts you in a really uncertain situation, not knowing whether or not you'll have stable income within the coming months to 
actually just provide yourself with the basic necessities such as food, clothing, and shelter. So it's a really anxiety-inducing situation, and I know many international students probably have it even worse than myself. But personally, if I could get income, if I could um, work or whatever, like I won't take the money. Um, but it's for the people who are unable to do so and are left uh, stranded. And ironically, we're see like I've been like I tweeted about this as well. And if you go to the tweet on my Twitter account, you'll see um, so many people commenting like, "Why don't you just go back home?" Like Canadians first, and um, all these ignorant things. So. It really goes against that kind of inclusion that we were told we'll receive when we come to Canada right. and the welcoming environment. Linda, he he identifies some you know some some pretty pretty core issues in here that you know he clearly feels and uh, and and he's also hearing from from other uh, from other students. And one of the one of the things that that strikes me and in, uh, in in what in what he talks about. Is this, you know, this is this notion that, you know, and and as somebody who, you know, has lived in, you know, born in New Brunswick and been here all my life, and has now been living here for twenty years, um, you know, we we do take a lot of pride uh, as people in terms of our, you know, ability to and desire to to welcome people here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I know that's not perfect, and 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 that's a whole other conversation for for, you know, well, this podcast and others just around how effectively uh, New Brunswickers do welcome people who come in, whether they come in as students uh, or come in as, as immigrants or as refugees. Mm-hmm. But he's certainly expressing that kind of, you know, uh, disappointment around the, it, this feeling, not feeling like a very welcoming thing. Mm-hmm. And Husoni himself is also an international student, right? And he's feeling the that sense of loneliness and um and needing support um, where he doesn't feel that uh, international students are getting the support. And it's interesting because yesterday I was sitting in a a public policy forum webinar where there were uh, presidents of universities from across the Atlantic and researchers as well sitting in. And they were saying that so the president of the Cape Breton University um, that has attracted a lot of international students um, and have been in the news uh, because of their success with international students. Uh, his name's David Dingwall. He says that uh, international students are attracted to Canada because of the promise of the country, because it's uh, in- internationally it's seen as this multicultural, inclusive um, country where people can be who they are, where people are supported, where there's free healthcare and all that. So um, and and community support um, is one of the things that uh, Sean Spear, the uh, research fellow at the Public Policy Forum, said um, it's something that makes students stay afterwards. And I I'm sort of I look at myself uh, and a lot of my fellow former international students as proof of that, um, that when the communities and the government and the university supports us, we're able to really build lives here. Um, but that's something that I guess Husoni and a lot of other international students are not feeling right now. And, and are they not feeling it mainly because they, is it, it mainly because they're not seeing the same uh, the financial benefits being extended to them that are, that are extended to everybody else? Or, or is there also, 
you know, something else going on in terms of, of the culture itself and how isolated they're feeling right now. I think it's that it's the being excluded from uh, the financial uh, programs uh, is what Husoni specifically uh, was mentioning. Um, and also the job programs, like summer job programs is what he specifically mentioned. Um, some of them don't include uh, international students. So let's say an employer wants to hire a student for the summer and gets, uh, you know, Canada summer jobs funding, for example, international students can't apply for those jobs. Right. And I know, you know, whenever we've gone to, to, to hire, you know, at Huddle for, for the summer, um, you know, that's always something that that's mentioned up front, right? Mm -hmm. Especially because so many, so many people who are applying for work now in New Brunswick uh, are international students. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, because uh, with Huddle, I've been covering a lot of immigration and labor stories, the immigration strategy in New Brunswick and Moncton and Fredericton, um, they're all uh, directed to boosting the number of international students here because they are, you know, they'd have the Canadian experience once they they've graduated. They've had they've they would have built uh, connections by the time they've graduated, and it's almost like an easy move from school to um, to the workplace uh, to the the job market because they've already had all of these. Um, all of these experiences in Canada and they would have had the language um, that they would need to go to work here. And so at the same time too, international students contribute over 21 billion to Canadian economy and support more than 170,000 jobs. Um, so they bring uh, that plus the cultural addition to to Canadian cities and especially here in the Maritimes where we've seen our cities become more diverse. Um, so there's all of that when we think of international students as a future source for our labor market. Right. You know, and it, I know you've done a, a lot of reporting on this and, you know, you're all, you were also an international student now settled in Canada and working. Um, so, I mean, you, you live these issues every day. I mean, I, I know that, you know, from our point of view, um, you know, we, you, you, you know, you've worked with us for a few years. Um, last summer we had, uh, an international student, Deanna Chavez, who's uh, at St. Thomas University and is going to be, we're very proud, the editor of The Aquinian next year. Yay. And, uh, I, you know, just from, you know, Heidel's point of view, it's, uh, and it would probably be echoed by other media outlets, um, you, like huge contributions uh, in terms of like, you know, enriching media outlets and and making them more diverse and, and making them stronger. And I know you know, from the, in the big picture here, that's true of the economy generally, like we're every city and you've covered this in Moncton, we've covered in St. John, Fredericton, Halifax, every city and all the provinces have these immigration strategies and these efforts to attract uh, immigrants because we know how important it is culturally, uh, economically, you know, in terms of growing the labor force, in terms of, you know, building new businesses that, this is just, it just makes, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't need to tell you this, Andy, you're living it, I'm living it. Mm -hmm. It it makes our community stronger. Mm -hmm. So it's, it. I, I'm curious from your point of view and from the people you're speaking to in these stories, that the it's, it's unfortunate that there's this gap between, um, 
you know, the way we want to, to build our communities, you know, through immigration and through students and through refugees. And then these roadblocks that come up that, you know, aren't just uh, COVID-19 related, right? Like we've been working on these labor force issues for years now and trying to make it easier for people to move here and, and work here. So this, this seems like this is another one of those examples where in spirit, we want to give international students all the support we can. But in reality, there are these gaps. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's it's very real gaps. I like I remember going back to summer, um, the summer that I graduated, I had applied for an internship at the CBC, but they couldn't hire people that were not um, permanent residents at that time. So I got an interview and everything and then got the call and says, oh, we didn't realize that you're not a permanent resident. Um, so you're just on work permit. You're still an international student graduate. So you can't, um, you know, get this job. And I was really heartbroken. And today, some of those um, roadblocks have been sort of uh, eased. For example, um, now international students can work um 20 hours off campus without needing a work permit. But because of COVID-19, that's even extended to 40 hours, um, to full-time hours, right, to to help them with this. And for example, Medicare in New Brunswick is now uh, accessible to full-time international students, and that have been ex- extended um, for those whose, uh, whose, uh, whose permits expired due to the... the the uh, crisis, the COVID-19 crisis. So there are some, a lot of changes that have happened that have made it easier uh, for international students to live and work here. And definitely a lot more programs to help them to also learn to be more entrepreneurial and all that as part of these immigration strategies. But those roadblocks still exist. uh, And I think a lot of universities are working to 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 kind of dismantle that uh for example yesterday and in, in the webinar the uh again the uh memorial university and um uh cape breton university were talking about oh, working to enhance those summer jobs programs so that more international students can be included now i know and uh you know it, 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 one of the things that has really struck me throughout the um throughout this pandemic is you know and to me this is kind of a general a general thing that you know applies to international students but it also applies to people who you know were born and raised here where the the pandemic was such a shock to the economy um so many people lost their jobs so many businesses were shut down or had their activities curtailed um so many students were left were left vulnerable um international and sort of domestic students and it you know, I'm gonna I'm on a bit of a soapbox here, and but I'm just thinking about uh, the things that we've been talking about for the last you know few months. Mm-hmm. It always every month, every day there was like, uh, you know, a Trudeau Prime Minister Trudeau um, press conference, and it seemed like for a while there, uh, every press conference that he gave was to announce uh, a new funding program that that filled a gap that they hadn't filled already. Mm-hmm. And slowly over the months, we've we're working toward a situation where, um, you know, to the best of the government's ability, it's it's plugging as many holes as it can and right. and trying to address a lot of gaps. And uh, it's not perfect by any means for sure. And it's you know it's an ongoing process. And so I see the same echoes in your stories and 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 the things that you're talking about in terms of 
we're certainly not we're certainly not there yet and there are definitely with some of the students that we've talked about today some real gaps to address here mm-hmm. and um, you know and hopefully they they will be and, and you know we're going to be following your reporting and the reporting of others to see how the government responds because obviously we value these students and we want them to be healthy and happy and connected and taken care of. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can get through the rest of their schooling. Um, but it makes me think, you know, cause you and I've talked a little bit about this in the last day or so that since you've started publishing these stories, um, you know, people have reached out to you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, trying to see what they can do and, and, and in terms of support, um, what, what are some of the things that you've been hearing from people? So some people have reached out to me, uh, for example, someone who uh, is a manager at a cafe uh, saying that they have an employee that is an international student and facing the same challenges that are told in the story and they want to help. There are former professors um, that, uh, you know, were immigrants themselves and they've they've become uh, Canadians and New Brunswickers and they're scrambling to see what they can do. Uh, Entrepreneurs. uh, startup uh, founders reaching out and some of them are former international students um, asking, you know, because they understand what it was like to be an international student and now living through a pandemic, what what can they do to help? And some of them actually calculated like, okay, if we have to help 1,500 1, students, how much money do we need, you know? And, uh, and 1,500 was just us calculating back and forth, like, okay, there's 900 at UNB, there is like around 200 in Mount A or something like that. It was just, uh, it was just a casual sort of um, calculation. Um, so people are th- really thinking about how to do this. And also from the mental health perspective, because uh, when you're, when you can't go home um, and you don't have your family here, you're in the middle of a pandemic and you're anxious about your financial situation, where do you turn to? So I know that like, for example, St. Thomas has moved their um, counseling online um, and that will be available throughout the summer for students. Um, So those kind of resources are out there, um, but not all students know about it yet. And, you know, from your perspective, because I know this, a lot of the work, this is the heart at the heart of a lot of work you do through woven cultures, you know, as, as we seek to kind of, um, you know, address these gaps and, and their government policy gaps, right? They, by, by their very nature, they can be addressed very quickly or they can take a long time. Um, are, are you heartened by some of the community support, uh, that, you know, may not, may not cover off everything, but, but, you know, we'll, we'll be there to help support students through this? Definitely. I think I heard that some of the students were really thankful um, uh, is what they told me about communities coming, community groups coming together to give them rides, for example, to get groceries, help them find housing when they're displaced from uh, residences that have to close because of COVID-19. Um, things like that, and or even like, you know, uh, raising just a little bit of money to help them um, feed themselves. Um, those kind of things that are, it's, it's small, but I guess it's it's the intention, and it's 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 better help, better than nothing, right? Um, so it's I'm heartened by it, but I do the the thing is like there's so many international students that are in the same boat. So I think what they were saying is that what more can be done? And I did ask uh, Minister Trevor Holder, our post secondary education training and labor minister here in New Brunswick, um, what could 
be done because they had uh, provided emergency funding uh, for these students. But those are one-time uh, one-time funding of up to $750, uh, I believe. And it's, you know, there's four months of summer and then upcoming uh, academic years as well. Um, so he said that he's open to looking at other ways to support international students and he's in touch with universities and universities are also scrambling to figure out how to support all their all their students right so this is this is an ongoing conversation that we're just gonna i think have to stay on top of um and um and you know i look forward to to hearing uh if you know minister holder is able to help address some of those gaps kind of in 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 the coming weeks and and bring in some of that support um Inda, um, uh, before I before I let you go, uh, is there anything else we should touch on with this issue? Do you think, or have we, have we left something out? Um, I cannot remember exactly um, <laughs> if we've left anything out. I feel like we've talked a lot about um, all the issues, but the thing is, a lot of international students um, they have. Uh, unique stories. There are so many reasons why they don't qualify for one thing or another. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I don't know if we can tell all those stories, but the, the, the stories that we heard today of for, from Sedona, from uh, Husoni and from, um, uh, from Kay, those are all some of the examples of what international students are facing right now. Through all of this, through, you know, having been a student yourself, settling here, you know, as a, as an immigrant, what, what, what's, st- what's sticking with you going through, through this pandemic as, as someone who, you know, you, you know, you may not be in the middle of, of that kind of struggle yourself right now, but what's, what sticks with you through all this in your mind? Like, what are you thinking about? in my mind as a, as, as an immigrant right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think my, my biggest worry right now is just my, uh, anxiety about my parents back home. Um, you know, the cases over there are so much different, uh, with the pandemic, the healthcare infrastructure is different. Uh, I'm very lucky that I still have a job that I really care about, um, that I can, that I can still do and get paid. So I don't, I don't lose, I didn't lose my income because of this, um, there's actually more work for us, right, Mark? <laughs> because we're always reporting. Um, the news cycle doesn't stop. So I feel very lucky and I feel uh, very lucky that also in New Brunswick, we have a lot of nature uh, that we can access. But as an immigrant, it's like it's the anxiety about people away where the situations are very different from you and my family in Ontario as well that I can't see um, or, you know, for the whole year probably. So... Right. And yeah, because you're, I, that's just occurring to me now because you're probably not sure exactly when you're going to be able to see your parents next. Yeah. And they're definitely guilt tripping me. And I'm like, it's COVID. It's not me. <laughs> it's not that I don't want to see you. It's COVID. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much in this. It's been uh, wonderful talking to you about this. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mark. This was, uh, this was a very interesting topic for sure. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to Huddle Home Office, and that was my conversation with uh, Moncton reporter Inda Intiar. And thank you very much, Inda, for joining us on this week's show, and thanks very much for your ongoing hard work on those stories. 
And if you want to read those stories, if you haven't already, you can find them on our website. And the best way to find them is go to the menu at the top of our homepage at huddle.today and click on the uh, podcasting uh, button in the menu. And you will find a story uh, at the top of that page that has links to all of the stories that Inda has been producing on this issue. And uh, thanks very much for listening this week. Huddle is produced by me, Mark Legere, uh, Sharice Letson, and Tyler McLean. And we will talk to you next week.